10-minute speaker is Alan. Hi, I'm Alan and I'm an alcoholic. Thanks for having me. Uh, my sobriety date is May 1st, 2012. The Atlanta group is my home group. I have a sponsor, his name is Matt L. And I have an exceptional opportunity to work with four wonderful sponsees, uh, Curtis, Ryan, Craig, and Evan. So what it was like, um, what happened, and what I'm like today. I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, abandoned by my parents, raised by my grandmother in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, by 10, uh, abuse and neglect was a norm for me. I ran away from home several times because of the abuse. I had no voice in the home, so my outlet was the classroom, and I was the clown. Um, around 12 is when I had my first drink. I always tell people my ears popped, and it seemed like my body and mind aligned with the universe. That was the effect that I had, it had on me. Um, I found it, I, I guess I, I, that was my solution, you know, it, it, it worked for me right away, right away, and um, it washed away my fears, my worries, uh, the loneliness disappeared, um, I finally felt I was able to coexist with the real world, um, that's what alcohol did to me, and that looked like, for me, the drinking was Drinking myself out of high school, uh, getting entangled with the law. Um, I was sent to many programs, uh, such as group homes and correctional facilities to, I guess, to adjust my behavior. Um, but I guess at the time was my behavior, it was just that um, I was in such pain and, and lost. And uh, I felt that, um, I grew up felt like I wasn't loved, so this has made me very angry. Um, so um, I um, want to say that I was I was brought up in the church, so I always had God in my life. But uh, once I had that drink in me, I uh, I started to blame God for all the bad, bad things that had happened to me, and. Uh, I want to say, but if it wasn't for God in my life, I don't think I would be here tonight sharing this story because I should not be alive before I found alcohol based on the conditions that I grew up in. Um, drinking uh, became a daily ritual for me. And uh, then one day I saw this commercial on TV. It was paratroopers jumping out of an airplane and I decided I wanted to be a paratrooper. So I went down to the recruiter's office and uh, said I wanted to join, uh, but they told me that I needed to have uh, my high school diploma. Uh, not I, but God found a way for me to get back in school to receive my diploma. Uh, later I joined the service for those four years, uh, for four years, excuse me. And uh, for those four years, I, went to church. You know, I didn't drink. Um, but uh, once I got out, I got married. Um, 
to my wife Carol. Uh, she had no idea what my past was like, and in no time uh, I had blew up that marriage. She had left, uh, and I turned to the bottle again, uh, which took me to took me to many cities and rehabs uh, before I landed here in New York City with my boyfriend at the time. And again, I was back to drinking daily. So what happened was my boyfriend sent me, to, sent me to my relatives in Chicago because he couldn't deal with me. And once I got to Chicago, my family couldn't deal with me. So off again, I was uh, sent to a rehab. Um, this rehab, I don't know what it was, but I could hear the counselors. I heard there was hope from the meetings that we were going to. And uh, I thought I'd give this a try. Um, but I want to say, uh, giving that a try did not look like <laughs> really giving it a try, you know. Um, I uh, did return home, but I went to a meeting first. Uh, and that meeting was a 12th Street workshop. Um, I got many sponsors there because uh, the sponsors were not helping me the way I felt I needed them to help me. And also, I didn't know how sponsorship worked, you know? Um, and uh, I got it for three and a half years, uh, but the last year and a half, I was sponsoring myself and found myself out drinking again. And, uh, it was much more painful. Uh, and uh, one day I was drinking and watching TV and uh, the thought came to me that uh, life was a lot easier in AA. And uh, I thought about it for several weeks and uh, decided to return to AA. And um, I went back to 12th Street, but somehow God made a path for me to run into different people, and I was invited to the Atlanta group for a meeting, and uh, I had heard, like, don't go there, you know, normal things that you hear, but somehow I was afraid, uh, so I attended, and uh, everyone, as they say, everyone was bright and shiny, um, and the most thing that made me want to to stay at Atlanta Group is that if you can go up in the balcony before the meetings start, you get to see sponsorship and service in action. And I had never seen that before, you know? Uh, and I I wanted some of that. That that intrigued me. Um, but I want you to know I came in with mommy and daddy issues and uh, I still had a fight in me. When I came back the second time, even though I said I was gonna do this program you know, my all, uh, I was still me, you know, and uh, I did a lot of fighting. Uh, I, my, my first sponsor, I don't know how he put up with me, Brett B. He, um, he was my first sponsor and uh, I don't know, he, he was able to guide me through the steps. And I know when I did my fifth step with him, um, it was all about my parents and how they done me wrong and how they didn't love me and you know my childhood trauma 
and uh, he asked me to call my parents uh, once every two weeks. Um, of course, I didn't start out doing that, but eventually I started to do it. And uh, over time, I made amends to my parents. And uh, a little bit later, my father passed away and Brent, Brent B had moved away and my new sponsor was Frank K. And uh, we talked about it, you know, it was about regrets, having regrets. And would I have a regret if I didn't attend the funeral and or not? And Sorry, you have two more minutes. Thank you. So I decided to attend the meeting, I mean, attend the funeral. My mom attended with me. And uh, for that moment, uh, I was with my family, you know? Um, and later on, uh, my mother came back into my life and my sister. So today I have my, my mother in my life, uh, my sister who I didn't know for a long time. And uh, this is due to the program. Um, AA has become a way of life for me. Uh, Although the program has changed, my program has changed due to COVID-19, but I do get up in the mornings, I read uh, 86 to 88, I, read, uh, I say my prayers, and I ask God to always to show me the way to patience, tolerance, kindness, and love, because I don't know what God will is for me, but I know if I lead with love, kindness, patience, and tolerance, uh, I should be okay, and I have been okay. Uh, Lately, I've joined two friends to bring an outdoor meeting in Central Park at 6.30 on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturday, and it's at the Top Pot. Um, we do wear uh, masks, and uh, it's 10 people or less. So that's my service I'm doing, but uh, my program truly has changed, and I'm really, it's in transition. I'm really trying to get back, but it's not the same as it was prior to COVID-19 but I'm working toward it each day to, um, to get it where I feel that, um, you know, you get that feeling when you're like in the middle of the herd, and I don't feel like I'm in the middle of the herd. I, I feel that I'm not far from it, but I, I'm not where I want to be. Um, I love I love Atlanta Group. I, I, just, I adore it. I love the feeling of them being of service. Um, I'm just happy. I can't wait to get back home. And uh, thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Alan. Our second 10 minute speaker is Diana. Hi, my name is Diana and I'm an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date, I've had two of them. One was December 18, 1973, and the second one was to, uh, January 11, 2008. So this is a lot to get into 10 minutes. I'm going to do my best to whiz through the first one. Um, I grew up in England. My first drink was a combination of lukewarm English beer and 7-Up, and it's disgusting and it's called a lemonade shandy. And it's how women start to learn to drink beer, essentially. I did, the earth didn't move when I had one, and I didn't want another one. 
um, I got into trouble with drinking once I started to um, work in London. Um, I had my first blackout in my early 20s. I remember not being able to remember how I left a party and being surprised when I woke up um, at about two or three in the morning to find I was not in my own apartment, I was in an apartment belonging to my boyfriend, which was no big deal, but I just didn't remember leaving the party. And I didn't think there was anything particularly bad about it because he said, that's what happens when people serve cheap champagne. So there you go. Um, I came to the States in 64 and I felt that people here drank more. Now it may be that I drank more because I was somewhat shook up by changing countries and I was all on my own. Um, maybe it's that was that, but my drinking progressed um, to the point where I was, I would try to drink martinis. Most people try and they give up when they can't drink martinis. I just kept trying. Um, I eventually married somebody who drank heavily. Um, inevitably, my drinking, which was quite heavy, picked up and went to join his in terms of the amount that we both drank. Because he drank heavily, he didn't notice that I did. Um, so the years went by and I had a couple of um, miscarriages and then two children. And um, with each taking on more um, responsibility, I think that my drinking got worse. Until finally in 73, I was spending a lot of my time sitting in my bedroom, drinking vodka and sleeping. And I had help for the children and they were downstairs and I was not seeing very much of them. And I only tell you that for the fact that my best thought on one of those days when that's what my day consisted of was, I think there's something the matter, which will tell you how crazy our heads get, that that was my reaction. I went to um, rehab um, and when I came out of rehab, I came out determined to never go back to rehab and to grab hold of AA. And it took me a month or two, but um, I came into the program, um, I got a sponsor, and I started to go to meetings and I went every day I could. And how I began to really have an active belief in God was that one day I really wanted to go to a meeting and I didn't have babysitting for that day. and. I was wishing that I could calm down and go to a meeting. And this is early sobriety. And my phone rang and a neighbor that I didn't know very well said to me, can I borrow your little son for the morning? He's the same age as my son. And I said, sure. And then she said a couple of other things. And then she said, and if there's something you'd like to do, I'd be happy to take the baby for that couple of hours that I am happy in. And, um, I said, thank you very much, that would be great. And deposited my two children with a nice neighbor and went to mustard seed. And I thought there must be a God, look at that, that's amazing. So I had a basic belief in God that I'd grown up with, but I didn't work a very good spiritual program. I had a, a sponsor. Um, I don't remember doing a formal going through the steps with her 
I remember reading the 12 and 12. I remember that I did steps one through five. And I remember then I started on character defects. I went, I didn't do seven. I um, made a list of people I'd harmed. I made amends to a couple of them and then I went to 12. So it's the usual story that you get where you think you're doing the program, but you really aren't. And you don't really understand, you're not really doing the program. Um, eventually, um, as the years passed, I um, forgot that um, the sort of serious nature of, uh, of alcoholism and um, its sneakiness. I got divorced from my drinking husband after 10 years because that was enough for living with someone who was actively drinking. And eventually, a couple of years later, I met somebody with whom I had a long-term relationship started a business, um, helped renovate a house, was really happy, um, went to meetings, not as many, and found this new relationship, fairly high maintenance. And um, so my answer to high maintenance um, relationship was to cut back on my meetings. And when I got to about 25 years of sobriety, was some kind of crisis in that relationship, I think, and I kind of gave up meetings to nurture the relationship. Anything you put before your sobriety, you lose. I always remember that, but I didn't remember it till afterwards. Um, I did, um, we continued with our relationship. I continued with rarely going to meetings. And in um, 2007, uh, my then second husband, because we got married, announced he wanted after the marriage. We've been married about five years. Um, I was sufficiently stunned and in pain and felt cut off at the knees that I, I just couldn't think of anything except the emotional pain I was in. And of course, when you don't have the program to fall back on, what do you do but think of the liquor store at the top of the block? I went there, I bought a bottle of white wine and I thought as I walked back, but what about my sobriety? And I thought, the hell with my sobriety. I just need to kill the pain. I'd forgotten that by the time I came into the program the first time, that booze had stopped killing the pain. I didn't, I have a high tolerance. The white wine was not going to do much. And I fiddled with the white wine. I didn't ever drink vodka, but I did um, fiddle with the white wine until eventually, because I was in the middle of a divorce, I thought I'd better go back to AA because I can't be in the middle of a divorce and not be on my own side. Drinking is not being on your own side. So eventually what happened to me was I went into a meeting, put my hand up, said I'd been out seven months and started to go to Chelsea meetings, at which I met um, a long time Atlantic group gentleman who said, I've got just the place for you. and. I went to my first Atlantic group meeting. Difference, um, I had a tough sponsor for five years, Joan M. Um, I developed good habits. I prayed daily. I developed a proper relationship with a higher power. I went to meetings a lot. I was really frightened not to do absolutely everything I was told. I even went to picnics. 
I went bowling with the Atlantic group at one point. I thought, no, I don't know that that had anything to do with my sobriety. Um, I read the book. I went to a wonderful um, step study course with um, Kevin H, which if any of you ever want to go to that, it's a wonderful thing to do. Um, and I just got thoroughly in, engaged with the Atlantic group. I felt this was how it should be done, and I bought in. And it has been that way for me. I have my second um, sponsor in AG, Kathy G, who's been wonderful. And um, it's been a really pleasant, growth-oriented number of years with her. I think what's wonderful about the growth that you do when you do the steps properly is you get to look back on your life and you see it differently. I think that I just developed in that time period a much better understanding of what my character defects were, which I hadn't really had all that good a sense of. And there was something so interesting about discovering all these character defects I didn't know I had. And it was so worthwhile that I embraced it and enjoyed it on some funny level. I want to thank everybody at the Atlantic Group who I've ever um, been in touch with and got help from. This is a great group. Um, I feel I've learned everything about AA in this last 12 years now. And I'm really glad that uh, I have the opportunity to share with you tonight. Thank you for letting me share. My name is Preacher and I am an alcoholic. Our this Wednesday, July 15th, as was set here tonight, is Bill. Thank you. I'm Billy. I'm an alcoholic. Hello, Billy. My sobriety dates January the 5th of 1990. My home group is the Alpharetta Unity Group in Alpharetta, Georgia. Obviously, I talk like most of you because I'm from New York. Um, it's good to be here tonight. I think New York City AA is the greatest AA in the world. Um, people get tired of hearing me talk about that. I don't care if I'm at the Atlantic Group or at the 10 o'clock at the 79th Street Workshop or down at Midnight Madness. I love New York City AA. Um, I did hear a lot of newcomers here tonight. Um, I want to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I really want to welcome you, especially doing the math in my head that most of you came in during this time. Um, you know, it's a, it's a strange time. I only have, I know I have a timer, but I'm also setting my own timer because in case I turn my text on silent just so I wouldn't interrupt the meeting. Um, but you know, the other day I got an uh, email in the morning from work and, uh, I woke up to an email that did not make me happy, and um, I had to travel that day. I travel a lot to work. I haven't been traveling a lot lately, you know, and as luck would have it, as God would have it, you know, I got into my Uber to a driver who was like the happiest person you ever met in your life, uh, who was also listening to ABBA Dancing Queen as loud as possible. Um, and, you know, I just kind of laughed to myself, the sense of humor that God has. Um, because who am I to take away from his good day, first of all? It's not my job to ruin his day. And second of all, I remember in 1995, on the Friday night of the July 4th weekend, 
I was in San Diego at the AA International Convention. I was barely five years sober. And uh, I remember being on the bay down by like the shops outside the Marriott in San Diego. And I remember like 3,000 people dancing there. And I always remember Abba dancing for me. You know, as that driver was enjoying his life and bothering me, uh, I thought to myself, you know, how truly blessed have I been? Because it brought me right back there. Um, if you are new, um, I can't even imagine coming into AA during Zoom. It's hard enough to come into AA during regular times. If you're an alcoholic of my type, this is not a place you ever want to come. This is like last on the list of all places I ever want to visit in the world is Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, because I knew that AA wanted to take my life away and wanted to take any fun away. Um, and if you're like me, one of the biggest problems that I've had in sobriety especially new is if I heard you say at a meeting that you had serenity what I heard you say is that you settled for boredom that's what I heard you say that you have settled and are going to hang out with all these freaks in AA and have no more fun in your life and go home at 10 o'clock at night I mean it has been a real uh, lesson for me to learn um, that all serenity is not boring. Um, you know, a hard lesson. There's a lot of things that this Zoom thing I think is incredible. Um, I think of all the people we didn't reach over the last five or seven years we could have um, but we're so fearful of technology so fearful of anything new um, you know our book says more will be revealed but sometimes we act like anything revealed after 1939 when the book published is not okay um, and I would like to believe that if we keep our message the same how we transmit it Bill would want us to use everything now I admit there's some things in Zoom that are driving me crazy. This, the protect, driving this alcoholic crazy. You know, I always say about our literature, the great thing about it is it's the great unifier. It's the place where we all can agree that it describes what's wrong with us and what the solution is. Very different than sometimes what we can hear in meetings. Sometimes we can hear in meetings things that are not at all related to our literature. Some of them I laugh at, some of them drive me crazy. Um, I have a new one as a result of the Zoom world. Um, two that I can't stand in general are there's nothing worse than a belly full of booze and a head full of AA. Um, I'm a chronic teenage alcoholic. My story is there's nothing worse than a belly full of booze and my mother's head full of Alan on it. That's my story. 
didn't matter that there was any AA in my head. It really mattered that there was Al-Anon in my mother's head. It, it completely changed my teenage years. The other one that I used to be able to not stand the most is my worst day sober is better than my best day drinking. That is absolutely not my story. I'm not going to judge who those people drank with or what they did for fun. Um, but that's not my story. I tell people all the time, checking into a correctional facility at five months sober was not better than the first day of spring break, Fort Lauderdale, 1986. Like, I know which day was better. Um, again, they get that from the big book where it says, I wouldn't trade the life I have today for the life of yesterday. And that's a no-brainer, but a completely different question. You know, I've never won, well, I'll tell you quickly, the one I hate in the Zoom world, the new one that I've had to come to terms with, is when people say, now I know what it's like to be locked up. Well, I have a message, no you don't. Um, just want to let you know that about 10 minutes before the meeting, I went over to my coffee grinder and ground some good coffee beans and made a cup of pour over coffee. And I have never been in any facility or institution uh, where I can do that. Um, but what I really want to get across to anyone new is how, because I don't have a lot of time tonight is how important it is for you to find out the answer to one simple question. Are you a real alcoholic as described in the big book or are you not? It's a very simple question. And if you don't know the answer to that question, the only thing I would beg of you is to not pick up a drink until you find out the answer to that question. I'm not going to judge you and say you're an alcoholic. I'm not going to say that just because you ended up in AA, you're an alcoholic. It's not my business. But it is my business to tell you that I've seen people make the ultimate sacrifice because they didn't find the answer to that question. Now, if I could go into a time machine, I wish I could have known what I know today and then be a 14-year-old boy on Long Island 30 seconds later. Because maybe my life would have went a little different. Maybe I would have had a different path, but that's not the path God chose for me. But when I think about my past and what I know today, I hate to admit it, but everything the book has said has come true, good and bad. Um, I've been hearing people ask me the same questions. Now, I always have to give a lot of disclaimers when I talk. Because every once in a while, I'll say something that'll offend somebody. And I forget to come back at the end of my story and clean it up. Um, because I mean to clean it up. So now I just, if I'm gonna go down that road, I, I tend to throw out some uh, disclaimers. So disclaimer number one, if there are any social workers in this meeting, I want you to know that I have great respect for what you do and the tough job you have and the gift you give back to the community. 
But you should also know, I did not always feel that way. I'm 54 years old, and I've never been invited to a meeting with a social worker where somebody had good news for me, ever. I've never been invited to one of those meetings. Um, anytime I've been invited to a meeting with a social worker, it has been bad news for me. And you know, a lot of people, and people I'll put into buckets, parents, guidance counselors, teachers, school psychologists, social workers, probation officers, have all have been asking me the same questions for most of my childhood and teenage years. Billy, what's wrong with you? Billy, why do you have to drink so much? Billy, why can't you drink like the other kids? Billy, can't you drink less? Or my favorite from my mother, Billy, why do you need to take things so far? I didn't even know what that meant until I came to AA and found a lot of other people who take things too far, apparently. Apparently, we take things too far. Um, but I tell you, if I could be in a time machine, knowing what I know now, it would be a very simple answer to all of those people anytime they asked me those questions. My answer would simply be that if you knew what it felt like for me to be sober, you would never ask me those questions. You would have no need to ask me those questions. If you could feel what it feels like to me to be sober, you would be perfectly okay not even asking me for an explanation. And, you know, when I say drinking, I don't have a lot of time. It's very hard to recover from something that, you, that your family doesn't believe in. Now, my family today is decades later of Al-Anon and, and AA and other recovery. But when I go back to the 70s and the 80s, my family didn't believe in alcoholism. It is very hard to recover from something that those who supposedly love you the most tell you is not real. It's almost impossible. My mother died of cancer when I was 10 years sober. Uh, here and there, I would take her to chemo or radiation. I can't even imagine pulling over the car and taking off my seatbelt and putting the car in park and turning to her in the passenger seat and saying, Mom, this cancer stuff is ridiculous. It doesn't exist. Why can't you just get your head out of you, you know what, and act right? But do you know how many people said that to me about my alcoholism? So many people. And also where I come from, all drinking is not drinking. And that's really crazy. I, I, I understand that. But just being in your backyard with a glass of wine or a beer is not what I am talking about when I'm talking about drinking. I'm talking about going on a mission. I'm talking about not knowing where that mission ends up. And, you know, quickly I'll tell you something really quick. A couple of years ago I saw a movie, like maybe seven or eight years ago. It kicked my ass. Getting sober and saying sober is not easy. 
if, if everyone had told me the truth about how painful it can be to be your own worst enemy in sobriety on day one, I'm not sure I would have signed up for this. Because I'm my own worst enemy. And sometimes when you have a decent amount of sobriety, you run into someone or you see a movie or something else and you think about something that you haven't thought about in a long time. Now I'll, I'll, I'll open up my little psychiatric brain so I won't let you know how crazy it is, but I'll give you a little peek in. Uh, if I'm good at something, it's easy to know because I'll do it in front of as many people as possible. If I'm bad at something, I simply never do it again, ever. And I definitely don't do it in front of anyone else, ever. Um, I saw this movie, and, and, and if I apply that to AA, I will never talk about anything that makes me uncool in AA from a podium. I will only talk about things that make me cool and tough. And so seven years ago, I see this stupid movie, and I'm just going to fill you in on something that I probably used to not talk about. But when I was just before junior high, two important things happened to my life. The first thing that happened to my life is I had heard about this magical place called the woods. I don't know if anyone else knows about that place, but where I grew up, there was the woods. And even though I had never been there, I knew that special magical things happened in the woods. And one day, the older kids invited me into the woods. And guess what? I was not disappointed. In the woods, I found a barn fire and lots of beer, two eight packs of the old Miller Small Pony eight ounce bottles, really loud music like Molly Hatchet, Pink Floyd and Black Sabbath, and girls. So what more do you need to discover in life but the woods? And you know, in Bill's story, I'm not from New England. I didn't go to a prep school. I wasn't a veteran of a foreign war. And I wasn't making millions and spending in thousands or whatever on Wall Street. I did not arrive on Wall Street. In fact, I only arrived twice in my life. And when I think about what I consider arriving, there's a story in the fourth edition of the big book, a woman wrote, and she has a line there that sums up my entire drinking life. She says that most people change their drinking to meet their goals, but she changed her goals to meet her drinking. That is my story. I arrived in the woods. Now the second time I arrived was in an Irish bar on Long Island at about 19 years old. I'm one of those kids who came to AA Young and got sober young. We have a certain thing in common. We're never able to celebrate our real birthday because 
we're in a bar and we can't even tell them it's our 21st birthday because we've been there for three years already, right? I mean, but when I arrived the second time in my life was in a bar at four o'clock in the morning when I became part of the crowd that does not get kicked out that gets to stay with the bartender while he's cleaning up between four and five in the morning. That's when I thought I arrived the second time in my life. Now I came to AA at 14 years old. I don't have time to go into all the details. I think it's pretty evident life was not going okay at 14 years old if a judge sends you to AA. I told you, I, I've never won the sponsor lottery. I'm very jealous of my friends who have. They get like the billionaire's son who has tickets to every concert and game. I never get that person. Uh, I get the person that has scorched the entire earth and burnt down everything around them and destroyed every single relationship. I have never had a young man come up to me and say, Billy, six months ago I went to CrossFit, and three months ago I joined yoga, and last month I got a therapist, and I just thought AA would be next in this life change I have going on. I've never met that young man. I meet people who have nowhere else to go, and that's when AA works best, when you have nowhere else to go. Now that other thing that I told you that happened besides the woods when I was 12 years old is um, I got invited to a meeting with a social worker and my mother and my principal and a teacher and they accused me of cheating on a test. I did not cheat on that test. Um, and a couple of other things happened. But I made a discovery before I went into junior high. I could play baseball, but I wasn't the best baseball player. I could catch a football, but I was not the best football player. But I discovered, I remembered everything I read. Everything. And I also discovered, I could do complicated math in my head, and very complicated math on a small piece of paper. Now, if there's one thing I have been excellent at for 54 years. It is making bad decisions when it involves my own life. I am an expert. Now you can be a total alcoholic disaster and sit in front of me in a diner and I can share with you some of my experience I've learned over 30 years and somehow maybe help you a little bit. But not when it comes to myself. When it comes to myself, I make horribly bad decisions. Well, going into junior high, I made the decision that number one, I'm smarter than my teachers. Number two, I don't need to study. Number three, I don't need to bring books home. Number four, I don't need to take notes. I'll skip fast forward. It's very humbling when you're like 11 years sober or 10 years sober and 33 years old and you have to ask someone in AA to teach you how to take notes in a class. 
because I was too smart and too arrogant to do that in junior high. Now, I don't know, another disclaimer, if anyone here has ever been in a gifted class, I am not insulting you. I got kicked out of gifted math 40 years ago and have been trying to get back in ever since. Um, but when I showed up to gifted math, I was not dressed like I am today. I had a uniform, my mother didn't like it. I was in public school, but I wore the same thing every day. I wore black engineer boots, Levi dungarees or corduroys, a heavy metal concert t-shirt. I had a Levi dungaree jacket with an Ozzy Osbourne Diary of a Madman oil painting on the back of it. And I put a pack of cigarettes down my pants so my teachers wouldn't find them. So if you've never been to gifted math, I just want to let you know, there's not a lot of other Ozzy Osbourne Diary of a Madman oil things on the back of people's jackets in gifted math. And you know what else is not in gifted math? All the other kids who hang out in the woods. None of my woods friends were in gifted math. So I got kicked out of gifted math as quick as I could. When I first came to AA, the only thing I liked in 1980 was I could smoke my brains out. It was the first place with adults I could smoke. So let me fast forward really quickly. I went to my first anniversary meeting. You talked about your excellent cake and when you celebrate birthdays. I went to my first anniversary meeting when I was 16 years old. I would not let my mother drop me off in the church parking lot because I'm too cool to be seen getting out of her car. So I had to drop me off down the street. I sat down in that meeting on Long Island on a Friday night, the last Friday night of the month. And some old lady turned the lights down halfway. She was like 35, I think. Some old guy, he came in with a cake with candles on it. He was like 45, maybe. All these AA freaks started singing happy birthday to each other. And I sat there thinking, 26, 36, 46, 56, like, this is the last thing I have going for me. This is gonna be the big night out in my life for the rest of my life. The big anniversary night with the old lady and the lights and the old guy and the candles and the cake because I was too cool. And if you're new, I just want to throw out a warning for my life. Cool people don't get sober. When I was 17 years old, a man on Long Island pulled me in a parking lot and said, Billy, you're a pretty nice kid, but unfortunately you might be too cool to get sober. And that's a shame. Boy, do I wish I had a time machine then. I wish I knew what too cool to be sober meant. Today I know what it is, I can spot it. Once you've been too cool to be sober, you look across the room like I do at a young guy, you know what it's like to be too cool to be sober. You can spot it a mile away. You know, we in AA, we have a lot of things that other people don't go through. It's funny that I, I run a pretty large company and I have recruited kids out of college for the last 15 years and some of those kids are like family to me today. They've worked for me for a long time. 
but they are normal. And you know, sometimes us in AA, we like to talk like we're the enlightened ones. Like it's us people recovered and the horrible rest of the world. That's not my experience. More people I've lent money to outside of AA have paid me back than inside AA. That's number one. Um, but number two, here's what I don't like. I used to work for a man that had a very bad temper. Every once in a while, he would come into my office. He'd say, Billy, I think I lost my temper in that meeting yesterday. And I'd be like, you did. And he'd say, I think I probably owe a few people an apology. And I'd be like, you probably do. And he would leave and he'd go on his way. Do you know what annoys me about that? Here's what annoys me about that. He didn't need to call his network the night before. He didn't need to write inventory. He didn't need to talk to his sponsor. He is just naturally wired to apologize when he does something wrong. The exact opposite of me. I tell new people all the time, if those 12 steps are completely opposite of how your DNA has you wired, welcome. I would be worried if these 12 things fit in your life. I wish I knew how I had an allergy to alcohol when I was 14 years old. I never took the time to read that line in the doctor's opinion that this, you know, these people have one thing in common. When they start drinking, they cannot stop. Worse than that, I never knew I had a mental obsession. I like to wake up at four o'clock in the afternoon. I like there to be one cigarette left on the nightstand. It, it actually makes me feel better when I light it in bed. It helps me get out of bed with a hangover. And I like to get to a Dunkin' Donuts or a 7-Eleven and get a new cup of coffee and a new pack of cigarettes. But within three hours, my mental obsession, I feel uncomfortable in my own skin. Thank God I met Joe and Charlie at three years sober. Thank God I learned that I have an allergy and a mental obsession and that there's a program of action. But if you're new, you have to have a sobriety date, a sponsor, and a home group all on the same day. No matter what the rest of the people in AA tell you, there is a difference between a home group and a meeting. Make sure you get a home group. Do a little service. If you're new, it can be all in AA. My experience in life has been that I have to give more than I take. Not only have I done service in AA, but I serve on some other charity boards. And I've been blessed with a life that I would never trade in today. And the last thing I'll say to you newcomers, sobriety is not boring. I could do a three-hour workshop on how many times I've seen Metallica or Pink Floyd or Eminem or seen the Yankees win the World Series in Yankee Stadium against the Phillies or watch the Jets beat the Patriots in Foxborough. I could go on and on of the great life I've been given. So thank you very much for having me here tonight.
My name is Rich and I'm an alcoholic and I chair the Atlantic Group. Let's thank tonight's speakers, Alan, Diana, and Billy. Thank you, excellent. 